Welcome to the Upper Perkiomen Community Church Podcast. Join us on Sundays at 258 Main Street, East Greenville, Pennsylvania. Refreshments at 9 a.m. Worship at 9.30 a.m. Or visit us online at upcconline.org. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy our teaching time with our special guest speaker. you guys to turn to first John chapter two. First John chapter two. I'm a little salty. Ray got a pie. He's been here for a week or a month. And I've been here longer than most of you and I never got a pie. They must really love you. I only got a couple of people to sign up when I did announcements, so that's why he's rubbing that in. All right, 1 John chapter 2. Our passage is going to fall between verse 15 to 17, um, so let's, let's get into it. So have you ever witnessed somebody change their loyalty or change their for support for something, whether that's, I was a Pepsi guy, now I'm a Coke guy, um, or politics, you know, we have these states we call swing states, or, you know, Democrat, Republican. I don't know if there's actually people changing their political views or if they just get more people out to vote, but it's, it's insane the amount of money invested. I watched this documentary, and it was millions and millions of dollars per state to just sway the political views of a people, to change loyalties from one camp to another. When I... This would have been almost 10 years ago when I moved to Pennsylvania. I was under intense persecution, um, being from Michigan, um, because I, I felt this, this pressure of changing a lot of my loyalties. You know, I'm a diehard everything Detroit fan, and Eagles fans and Flyers fans are kind of crazy. Um, so I felt like I had to kind of just wear the colors without the symbols when I'm around those people. Jeff Arnold's one of them. He's wearing a fly. I saw your sweatshirt this morning when I came in. I was a little scared. <laughs> the, other, the other thing I was intensely persecuted with when I moved here was this whole Tasty Cakes craze. I literally, I moved here, and I, I was young. I wasn't married. Um, one of our missionaries, Ben Fortney, and I, we were roommates, and I felt this pressure to, like, leave little Debbies behind and, and love Tasty Cakes. I tried so hard to love Tasty Cakes. It's just, it's not the same for me. I just, I, I just can't. But people are always trying to sway others to either... Um, believe what they believe or to have the same passions as they do in order to, to have fellowship. And in our passage today, um, we believe the author of this book is John, both contextually and, and other evidence. The attitude of the people um, shortly after this was written believe that this was John, maybe the Apostle John, or maybe it was just a different elder named John, but John is passionate about the health of the church or the churches that he's writing to. And this is a passion that we should have too. He's writing to churches in the area of Ephesus and he's very passionately complimenting them, 
pointing out their sin, pointing out their wrong, and trying to get them to align themselves with what he believes is God's will. So he's a prominent figure. He's an elderly man at this point in his life, and he's kind of like the overseer of this network of churches. Verse, verse, four, I'm sorry, verse 12 to 14 in chapter 2, he, 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 he lists out this, this string of who these Christians are in Christ. And he goes, you know, it doesn't matter if you're young, doesn't matter if you're middle-aged, doesn't matter if you're old, this is who you are in Christ. Your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. You know him who is from the beginning. You have overcome the evil one. You know the Father. You know him who is from the beginning. You are strong. The word of God abides in you. You have overcome the evil one. He lists these out if you, if you look at verses 12 to 14, and he states, this is who you are in Christ. This is your status. And then in our passage today, he launches kind of abruptly into these warnings, into these bewares, do not love the things of this world because it conflicts with our love for God. And, and we'll see in coming weeks, next week, why he's giving this warning. It's because there's a group that has left the church. There's a group that had adopted the mentality of the world, and they were denying Christ as the Messiah. So today we're going to focus on these warnings and, and see what John is, is talking about here. So my first point today is found in verse 15, and this is all about misplaced love misplaced love. Like I said, this warning is addressed to loyal members of the church. This is for us. You know, this was written thousands of years ago, but this is very applicable to us today. Let's go ahead and read verse 15. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. That's pretty weighty. If you love the world and the things in it, the love of the Father is not in you. Those are some pretty strong words. So we need to define some of these terms because when you think of the term love, when you think of the term world, you know, you got to look at the context and see what, what is John actually talking about here. Love is a godly attribute we are to strive for. What is the greatest command? Love God. And the second is like it, love others. Love. It's, the, it's at the core of who we should be. It should define and be part of our identity. We should be defined as those that love. But that love should be directed to God and to others. John 13, 34 through 35, Jesus says, Love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. If you look back just a few verses from our passage in verse 10, you see that this love that we should have, that we should adopt, should be directed towards, a, to, towards our brothers and sisters, towards other people, and should be concerned for their benefit. Verse 10 says this, Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But in verse 15, John is referring to a misplaced love, a love that is all about self. This type of love found in verse 15 is only conserved with this self-pleasure which a person hopes to get from the object of its love. And that object here 
is that John used the word world to, to be that um, what love, the self-pleasure love is directed at. So do not love the world. So I love gadgets. I love stuff in this world. You know, I was at um, our off-the-wall retreat in Ohio about a month ago, and all the staff, we had this free time, and all the staff were gathered around this computer just watching the, um, the, conv- or the announcement of all the new Apple products, of all the new gadgets, you know, the new phone, the new iPad, the new computers, and we're all salivating, and just, you know, money symbols just floating in our head of how expensive all this stuff is, but I love gadgets. I love how when I put something in my phone, it's also on my computer, it's also in the cloud, I can go anywhere, and it's there. Gadgets, the things in this world are pretty cool. So, when John says, don't love the world, what is he talking about? Is he, is he, am I sinning when I look at the things in this world? I'm like, wow, that's cool. I wish I had that. Is that sin? This idea of loving the world can be confusing. John 3, 16, for God so loved the, the world. The world is the object of God's love. So when we get to 1 John 2, 15, and it says, do not love the That can be kind of confusing if we don't define what that looks like. This is why we must study with purpose of understanding so that we're not easily misinterpreting or misapplying God's word. This is so important. So what is John talking about? Well, John 3.16, world is pointing us to people. It's we are to love the, Jesus loved the world he loves our souls. 1 John 2.15, world is anything opposed or rebellious to God. The world here that John is talking about is those things opposing God, opposing his character, opposing his will for our life. And he defines this further in verse 16. So God is love. We, we are told the fruits of the Spirit, it starts off with love. Christians should be defined by love, but society defines love in a whole different way than, than, than God does, that in a different way than we should view it. Society defines love often as acceptance. If you don't accept me, you don't accept my views, you don't accept who I am, then you must not love me. And this comes out in different ways, whether it's the topic of abortion, whether it's politics, whether it's LGBTQ+, or whether it's simply just a boyfriend and girlfriend living. We're told we are not loving if we don't accept everything around us. Christians often remain silent because we don't want to offend. Because we don't want to step on people's feet. Because we don't want to come across as unloving. This silence is often interpreted as acceptance, and that acceptance leads to a shift in our attitude towards these things. And over time, Christians accept sin in the church on the basis of this so-called love. We need to base our convictions on the word, not on our feelings. And when God says something strongly about something, we need to take that seriously. We need to call sin out in in, in a proper way, Because that is the most loving thing to do. 
but as Christians, we are to love. John here is, is talking about a misplaced love. So do not love the world. Do not have self-directed pleasure towards anything that is opposed to God, is what John is saying. Misplaced love. Now let's look at verse 16. Verse 16 goes into a little more detail of what, what he means by world. John, in pursuing Christians to align themselves with God's values and not the world's values, verse 16, he says, all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the, the Father, but is from the world. All that is in the world. This is still relevant today. We're talking, this was 2,000 years ago, roughly, that this was written. And the world's values have not changed and will never change. We still are concerned with pleasure, possessions, and prestige. They just look a little different today. None of these things are wrong in and of themselves, but when we quench the spirit in our life, when we quench our passion for Jesus and we put our passion towards possessions, status, towards pleasure, then it's, John's calling it sin. He's, he's telling us that our focus is in the wrong place. So misplaced love, now we're looking at misplaced values. And let's look at three different values that, that John lays out here. The first value being pleasure. The desire of the flesh. I love how the NIV translate it. It says, the cravings of sinful man. The word desire in and of itself is, you know, it's, it's not good or bad. God created us with desire, with good desires. When I woke up, you know, it's always the first thing on my mind is food, right? That desire, that hunger in me, that appetite I go to the cabinet, open it up, Apple Jacks, perfect. Grab that, bowl of Apple Jacks, coffee. We, God has given us desires, and that doesn't make them bad. We have desires, but there's also bad desires. If you offend me and I desire to murder you, that would be an extreme, right? That would be an obvious, that is a wrong desire. So John here is, is outlining what a wrong desire, the desires of the flesh he's talking about here. And flesh is a word that is often used in Scripture to outline the desires running contrary to God. So God's character, who God is, who God desires us to be, those things that are contrary to that are of the flesh. 1 Peter 2.11 equates the, or says that the flesh is warring against the spirit. And Peter says, abstain from these passions. Abstain from the passions of the flesh. If you're like most people, um, or if you are to ask most people, what do you want out of life? You'll, you'll hear something along the lines of, I want to have fun. I want to be happy. I want to be comfortable. I want to feel good. It's all these ideas surrounding pleasure Pleasure is sin when it is driven by the flesh and not by the Spirit. God wants us to enjoy our life. He wants us to enjoy his creation, to enjoy Apple products and stuff. 
but he doesn't want that joy for those things to, to be above and, and, and farther reaching than our joy in him and our joy for following him. So pleasure is the first value. The second value that John outlines here is possession or this idea of greed. He, said, he calls it the desire of the eyes. The eye is the source of desire. We want that what we see, right? Oftentimes, we buy things we don't need with money we don't have to impress people we don't even know. I mean, that's the, that's the American dream. That's the rat race. That's what a lot of people are all about. This idea of possessions and greed. For most, self-worth is based on our net worth. But is that what God puts value on, our net worth? No. God puts value in us. He puts value in people. He puts value in living for him. When we covet what we see, when we boast of what we have and claim we are self-sufficient and get caught up in the desires of life more, more than people, our desires have become perverse and sinful. So verse 16, the value of pleasure, the value of possessions, and then this last value that he outlines, the pride of possessions that I have just entitled prestige, the value of pleasure. Of, of status, of prestige, pride of possessions. Pride refers to boasting or arrogance. You know, and oftentimes people are concerned with their image. When people see me, what do they think? Do they think I'm successful? I got my kids, my wife, my dog, my house, my truck, you know. It's these status symbols. It's, thing, it's these possessions that kind of define us and give us prestige, you know, we're, we're bombarded with, with the media telling us what we should value. You know, pleasure, possessions, prestige. We're constantly being told, this will make you happy. You are not happy unless you have this. And we become seduced into buying into the mindset of the world. I, I did a little bit of research just on how we, as Americans, why we value what we value, right? So... And this is just, so when you take just TV, can somebody guess how many hours of TV the average American watches a day? Five. Bingo. Five hours a day is what the Amer average American watches, okay? If you are to break that down, that's about 140 a week. No, 140 a month. That's about 1,700 hours a year, okay? Now, I was actually blown away by the average life expectancy. It's 78. We're doing pretty good here. So the average life expectancy of 78, if we're watching 1,700 hours of, of media a day, that translates to about 15 years of our life, no sleeping, just 15 years straight of our life consuming what the world values. That's a lot. 15 years of our life. Okay, so this is where it, it, it starts to, to poke us and it starts to hurt us. So, unfortunately, most Christians don't read their Bibles. I mean, this is something I'm hammering with my students and off the wall is the importance of just reading God's Word. Most Christians don't read the Bible. So if you went to church 
once a week for your entire life, and that was your source of God and his teaching, you would, it would equal out to about five to six months straight of, of hearing God, what God values. So six months versus 15 years. Where do you think most Christians are getting their values? We say we follow Christ, but our values show people that we actually value the world. We don't value what Christ values because we don't know, because we're not modeling our life after. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not telling everybody to go home and you're not a good Christian if you're not reading the Bible five hours a day. That's not what I'm saying. But we have to have an appetite for God's word. We have to drive ourselves, push ourselves to read this book because this is God's message to us. This, is, this outlines for us how we are to live. We're to value what God values, not what the world values. If you want to see the end result of what it looks like to build your life upon the world's values of pleasure, possessions, prestige, I have a book to recommend you, so I'm pulling a Josh right now. I have a book recommendation. Um, It was written by the wealthiest man who ever lived and the most powerful man in the world at his time. His name was Solomon, right? And the book he wrote almost like a journal, Ecclesiastes. Take time to read it. He says, meaningless, meaningless. All is utterly meaningless. It's futile. It's empty. And he ends the book of Ecclesiastes with this. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the entire duty of man. So John takes a good amount of time here in these short verses, to warn these believers, these people he cared deeply about, warning them about misplaced love and misplaced values. And then at the end of verse 17, kind of the climax of John's appeal, he shows us that there's an eternal weight of our present love and values. There's an eternal weight. You don't just say, I'm a Christian, I follow Jesus, and then you just live however you want. We need to model our life after Jesus Christ. Let's go ahead and read verse 17. Verse 17 says this, And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Throughout John's letter, he contrasts a lot. It's like the black and white. It's hot or cold. You're either in light or you're in darkness. And in this section, you're either of the world or you're of God. You're either following the world or you're following God. There's no middle ground. There's, it, it's not, you can take a little bit of this and, and, and take a little bit of that. You're either, it's this whole mentality of serving two masters, you can't. You're either going to love the one and hate the other, or you're going to despise the one and cling to the other. You can't serve the world. You can't follow the world and its values and its loves and follow God and his values and his love. It it just does not match up. It's not possible. And in this climactic verse to this section, John says, if you love the world and value what the world values, guess what? It's passing away along with its desires. It's dissolving. So you spend all your time and energy and focus into something that's just going to be here and then be gone. 
But then he says, if you love God and you value what God values, it'll do what? It'll abide forever. It seems like a no-brainer what we should do, but we live in this world. We're bombarded with the world's values, with the world's mindset, with everything in this world. And it's tough. It's tough to focus on what matters. I had Ray read Matthew chapter 7, verse 24 and 25, um, because I thought it was, it, it was very applicable. It was very parallel to, to what we're talking about here. Are you constructing your life on the solid rock of God and his values and what he loves, or are you on the feeble sands of this world? You know, we, we constantly have to evaluate our life. We constantly need to ask ourselves, what am I living for? Because if we don't, we just find ourselves caught up in the rat race. So in conclusion, I have these takeaways. And they're not really takeaways. They're more of like um, thought-provoking questions. So first of all, where are you going to get your values? It's either going to come from the world or it's going to come from the word. Now, there's only one letter that is different in those two, world and word, but they're completely different, completely different value system, completely different thought process. Where are you going to get your values? Secondly, clarify what is important. What is really valuable to you? And this is a challenge that I have for myself. This is a challenge that I challenge you guys with. Make a list of your values, of what you value. Just, just write them down. I know that's hard. Text them in a note in your phone or something. Write down your values and ask yourself, do they match up with what God values? Also, write down your definition of success. If you don't define what success is for you, the world and the people around you are gonna define it for you. You're gonna, you're gonna hear these ads, you're gonna see how people are living, and you're going to want what they have. You're going to want what they want. If you don't define success, others will define it for you. In my, in my reading, um, I found this helpful. Success is the feeling I get when I live out my values. Success is not a destination. It is not a goal or an achievement. It's a journey. It's a progression. Success is the feeling I get when I live out my values. You're either going to live for the world's values or you're going to live for God, what God values, what the word values. It's going to be one or the other. So you will find success in one or the other. Third, change your lifestyle and check yourself daily. It's sad, but people don't really get serious about change until it's too late, or until they're running out of time. I don't know if it's procrastination. I don't know if, you know, the light bulb isn't coming on fully, but people don't get serious about it until they're in trouble, until they're too late, until they have some sort of wake-up call. Don't allow yourself to fall into this groove. We need to follow Christ. We need to follow, you know, as John's saying, the Father in his will. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. I'm going to ask the music team to come up. This morning, I hope you have been challenged. I hope you have 
you're evaluating your life, you're willing to change. I hope the Holy Spirit has challenged you to carefully look at your life and the reasons of why you are living and what you're directing your priorities to. Don't, don't let the, these kind of moments slip away. When, when the Lord is convicting you about something, we need to act. And a lot of times it's easy because we just leave and we're thinking about food and, you know, the football game. But let's get serious about what, what God is serious about and let's start modeling our life after him. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we love you so much. I thank you for your word. I thank you for John's book, this writing. I thank you for this warning um, for all believers. I pray that we will be serious about where we direct our love, be serious about what we value, and that we would be willing to uh, just evaluate all of that. I pray that we won't allow the world to define what success is, but we will look to you and your values and define our success from that. Be with us today. I pray that if you're working in someone's life, in their heart, I pray that they will act upon what the Holy Spirit is tugging and that they would just be willing to change. In your name, amen.